Hey guys, welcome back to the Dogbone Podcast. This week uh, is a little bit different. It's actually an interview that I did with Aaron from the Farm Dog Podcast a while back. He reached out to me and wanted to talk about shed training. And his his audience is a little bit different than our typical audience. So I thought it was really good to get some questions answered that probably are pretty basic, pretty simple, but it's the stuff that we just don't talk very much about here. So I think you'll find this interesting. Um, it was a really enjoyable podcast. I would check out his podcast as well, the Farm Dog Podcast. Pretty interesting topics that they discuss about working dogs. Um, so I hope you enjoy that. And I also wanted to make an announcement to you before we get started with this episode. Uh, this guys and I have talked about it. And this year, what we starting in 2024, we're going to make a real conscious effort to drop new episodes weekly with regularity. And when I say that, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. is what Ben has written on the whiteboard. So I need to make sure that I'm providing him the content and information prior, but Ben is going to produce that stuff and get it live on all of our platforms Wednesdays at 2 o'clock. So hold us to it. Uh, if you have any recommendations or thoughts or you like what you're hearing with our podcast, please, like always, I ask, um, I don't ask a lot, but I would ask if you would do us the favor of leaving a review uh, leaving a rating, leaving a comment. It really helps for us to figure out what we're doing good and what we could do better, but it also helps with with us being able to reach more people. It helps us get into whatever it is that needs to be um, put into these podcasts so that other it reaches other people that have an interest. And ultimately, that's what our goal is, to try to help as many people as possible. You can help us do that, and I really appreciate it. So enjoy this, and thanks for all your support. Welcome to Farm Dog. I'm your host, Aaron Steele, and I am thrilled to be joined today by Jeremy Moore of Dog Bone. And he's going to share with us kind of um, an interesting take on farm dogs. And we'll come back to that here in a moment. But first, Jeremy, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what your history is and and what your company does. Sure, sure. First off, I appreciate you having me, Aaron. Um, it, it's an honor to be, be on your podcast. And we... Uh, like you, like you mentioned, I'm Jeremy. I'm, I'm actually one of the owners of, of our company, which is called More Outdoors. Um, we, it's really the, just a parent company. We've got a couple of brands in the outdoor space. One of them is Dogbone, and the other one is a, a deer line of products called Hodeg. Um, Dogbone is where we're gonna obviously have the fit here with our conversation today. So, Dogbone is a, it's a brand of products that, so I train dogs. Um, I've been training dogs for for some time. Started out with retrievers um, early on, all driven out of my own personal kind of obsession. Maybe I think is maybe the right word for it. I, I became really um, hunting has always been an important part of my life. I was born and raised here in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, and and now we're located kind of in central Wisconsin. But um, hunting was always just a really big part of our our family and upbringing. And um, the dogs were became my my maybe primary focus in that in that equation i if it doesn't involve dogs i'm not that interested in doing it and so that's just always been kind of how i started and when I, I went to college over on the western side of the state and a lot of my buddies were from uh, minnesota we were kind of on the minnesota border and i had a lot of friends from minnesota they were all big duck hunters goose hunters and so that's when i really got 
interested in the retriever stuff um, as far as duck dogs go. And that that took up a lot of my focus for, for many years, enjoyed that. But I'm a, but I'm a deer hunter by Wisconsin is, uh, you know, I'm a deer hunter by nature. And um, in order to be able to, here we got my dogs in the background. So, you know, you know how my kennel is set up. It's my living room, right? <laughs> but uh, with, with the deer, I've always been a big deer hunter. Um, and I wanted to figure out a way to be able to in, incorporate the dogs and have benefit and val bring value to that experience too. So um, the first way that I found logical to do that was um, to start using my retrievers for shed hunting. And, and that really, this was all before it was a business. I was in construction my whole life. And so um, it was all kind of on the side. Training dogs was on the side for me. I, I owned good dogs and I, I, I had some real nice dogs. And then people I worked with um, recognized that and said, hey, would you train my dog? And would you train my dog? And I just started helping out in, in doing it kind of as a little side hustle was, was training. Um, but then I got to the point where I, which is kind of the story behind the shed stuff is I, I ran into a problem. And I think a lot of stuff um, comes from initially having a, a problem or something you need to solve. And my issue was I, I tried to take this retriever, which was a gun dog, bird dog that I had used for upland and, and waterfall. And she was a really good dog and um, really the first real good retriever, I would say. And she was a lab. Um, I was kind of raised with golden retrievers prior to that. And this was my first Labrador. And I took her and I, I decided I was going to try this shed hunting with her and I ran into, I had some success with her. She was a little bit older dog. And so then I ended up buying a puppy and I, I wanted to train that puppy to shed hunt. And I kind of went about it with a similar approach to how I was training gun dogs. And I, I ran into this snag at six, seven months old. Um, this little puppy poked herself on an antler. So I was using an actual shed antler and she poked herself and she jabbed herself and she, it was really her introduction to antlers and boy, she, and so then I thought here, I, I actually bought that puppy with the intentions of using her to be a shed dog and she was afraid of antlers. And so I was just, I was disappointed. I was frustrated. I was kind of mad at myself. And I, I kind of looked at it as, well, what, when I train bird dogs, I don't take young dogs like that and, and put them into situations where they potentially fail, which, you know, take, I don't take a seven month old pup, put it in a pen with a rooster and hope I turn into a pheasant dog. It's just not going to work. There's just too many mm -hmm. uncontrollable things there. So how I train dogs is or how I've learned to train dogs and kind of developed into maybe a little bit of a style of my own is incremental training. And I just really believe I'm building on the last lesson. So w with bird dogs, I'm going to, you know, start with a balled up sock in the hallway and bring out a little bit of natural retrieve and slowly work through things. And I use tools along the way. And so I'm using training dummies and putting wings on them. I'm adding scent to them. I'm slowly making it more realistic. And then eventually we're very controlled with maybe cold game or fresh killed game or a shackled pigeon. And eventually we're getting these dogs to birds and we're doing it in a real um, strategic way to have success. And I thought, well, hell, why don't I do that with a why am I not doing that with my shed dogs? Well, there wasn't anything to do that with. So it was this idea of, oh, if I had something to train and and introduce them safely, that'd make my life a lot easier. And it really would have helped me in this situation. So that was the light bulb moment for me. And I I, I moonlighted, I, I did everything. You know, I worked construction all day and then at night I'd stay home and 
work on my patents and work on the design and trying to, I mean, it was, a t it ended up becoming like so much that I had to make a decision and that, I mean, it was a tough one. And I finally said, you know what? I really believe in this and I really love doing it. And it, my back was hurting at work. So I was like, this, <laughs> this, this sounds a lot better to me. So I, uh, I made that decision and, and in 2000, been 2010, um, I, I quit construction and, and full-time and, and went, did this full-time. And, um, since then we've developed the brand to be a little bit more robust. It started out shed training products and we went into lot. I, the logical next thing was to use these dogs to track, find wounded game. You know, if I'm deer hunting, if I'm the, the, into this deer hunting stuff and I was training dogs for clients and the clients were the ones who really said, well, if you train it for me to be a shed dog, could you train it to me to help me track, find mm. wounded, find wounded big game. So, you know, a tracking dog is, I thought about it and I was a little intimidated at first, but then I really started digging into it and talking with a lot of canine handlers, police dogs types, scent, scent work people and mm -hmm. realizing, hell, I've been training tracking dogs since the beginning. Cause I train all my dogs to find cripples, you know, whether it be on the water with ducks or in the field with a pheasant. And so tracking is tracking. And I decided, yeah, I think I could. So I started working dogs for folks that um, were pretty serious deer hunters and training them as shed dogs or training them as tracking dogs. And, and then from there, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've kind of found myself cyclical in my hunting and I'm, I'm, I love bird hunting. I love doing all sorts of stuff. So the, we developed the brand with products. It's a line of products that most of them are products that I had some type of a twist on where I liked this, but it wasn't quite what I wanted. So I said, I'm going to make it the way I want it. And so it's just a, it's a modification or um, adjustment to stuff, but some of them are very unique and, and patented. And some of them are um, twists on old stuff that has worked for centuries. And for trainers, I'm, I'm a real simple trainer. You'll probably find that out by the time we're done here. I don't like to complicate this. I try to keep it as simple as possible, but our product lines are really a, uh, an extension of the stuff. It's just the stuff I use in training. Mm -hmm. And so we offer that. And I think maybe more importantly, we try to offer how to. And so that's maybe the most valuable thing we can provide for our customers is we'll give you the tools, but if I give you the tools and you don't use them right, they're not going to work. So mm -hmm. we really have to be conscious of let's give them the right tools, but then let's give them the right information. And and to me, that's been the success. That's been the model for us to, to find success in a, what was a pretty new world for us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that introduction. So you, right now you're talking to an audience uh, largely made up of people who are into herding dogs and stock dogs sure. and livestock guardian dogs, dogs that are used on the farm to like contribute to the living it, mm -hmm. that those, those people make uh, from yeah. farming and agriculture. And so right now, a lot of those folks are going, oh boy, here we go again. Aaron likes to talk hunting dogs. He's got a hunting sure. dog guy sure. with him. This is going to be in a podcast entirely focused on bird hunting and retrievers and that sort of thing. And believe me, I'm tempted. I'm tempted because sure. <laughs> I've got you on the phone. I'd love to talk to you for hours about that. But what I really want to talk about primarily is shed hunting. Uh, because what we like to say in this podcast is it's not just about earning a living. It's about su the surviving and thriving in a rural sure. environment. And I think this yep. maybe leans a little bit more to the thrive side of things. And our audience lives in beautiful rural places where there's a lot of outdoor recreation to be done. So with that backdrop, 
reintroduce us to this concept of shed hunting? Start at the very beginning. What is shed hunting and how does it work? Sure. Yeah. And I, I think I can easily do that. And I think for your listeners too, I, I think they'll find pretty quickly, like I'm a, I'm a real big believer in dogs, dogs serve purpose, like in our lives, you know, whether it be working, uh, I think, you know, that's the reason we domesticated them was to, and, and your listeners and all that, cause they're just using mm -hmm. it in a little, with a different twist is all, but the, the, really the reality. And when we start talking about shed stuff specifically, you're going to find very quickly, I hope I don't disappoint with this, but a lot of the stuff that we talk about when we develop shed dogs specifically is so built off of a foundation that is so broad and generalized and basic that I think that's maybe where we'll connect with your listeners, because I think a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk about foundation wise, they'll either recognize or they'll maybe um, and agree with, or maybe they'll recognize and go, ah, boy, I guess I never saw that connection because everything is built. And I, I think this is probably relates back to my construction background too. Like I can easily, I, I, I talk in a lot of analogies because I, because I'm not a trained, I'm not like a, I'm not like a dog. Like I never went to school to be a dog trainer. Like right. I didn't, I didn't take any, I don't have any, I know that in this will insult some people and I, I have to be very careful, but I also have to realize I don't, I'm not, I'm never going to make everybody happy. So I've kind of come to that in over the years, but like the letters behind names, the letters that precede your name, the titles and all that stuff, it, 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 it's important and it, I get it. I, I think it, I think, but I think the, the idea of education is important to me, learning stuff. But I don't know that I I don't, I wasn't in construction for a long time. And I can tell you right now, I learned as much or more on a job site than I ever did in a classroom. Hmm. And so, but the classroom prepared me for a lot of that stuff to get, to be able to understand it a little bit quicker in the field. So when it comes to the dog stuff, I'll talk dog stuff very, and this is maybe where I connect with people better, especially our, our followers is I just, I just, I'm not going to talk real technical um, as far as like whatever the, the, the studies are that, you know, the, the, the terminology, it'll be, I'm real blue collared that way. And so, and that's just, that's just, I had to accept that and be okay with it. Cause that's where I'm most comfortable. So when it comes to this idea of construction, like if you build a build big building, it can be really pretty on top, but if you don't put it on a good foundation, over like it's not going to last and so sure. i look at all my training with my dogs in a similar way the foundation has to be there and it has to be strong it has to be built to last and that's where the longevity comes in when it comes to working with these dogs and it's really where the where the not only the longevity but also like the starting points so shed hunting so i'm and i'm a real rabbit hole guy so you might have to keep <laughs> me on track but specific to the shed hunting so shed, so antlers fall off. We, most of your listeners probably understand that. Like antlers on a, on a deer and the deer family, they fall off every year and they regrow. Well, yeah, let me, interrupt you. Let, let me yeah. interrupt you there and say that I think it's quite possible that a big part of our audience doesn't know that. So okay. just kind of reemphasize sure. that. Like every, yeah. every deer species sheds its antlers every yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. And so what ends up happening is so, and people call them horns. They're not really horns. Like, and again, this is, you know, someone's going to, someone will correct me that listens to this. It's a biologist and be like, you're technically, yeah, I'm not technical. So horns, horns and antlers are different. Antlers fall off. So, and regrow. And it's really, it's the fastest growing. It's like one of the fastest growing 
things in nature. Like it, it, when you think about how quickly some of these elk and moose and whitetails, when, when you think of the inches, and which is a means of measurement, but like the mass, let's say, of, of an antler, some of these animals are growing incredible headgear in a very short amount of time. Like it's a real short window, like they're shedding right now. And so there's a window of time and it has to do with levels of testosterone that drop off in deer. It creates this calcification that there's this, this seal that basically seals off the antler and then it, hmm. it no longer to hold it and it, it falls off and then it'll start regrowing. And so that happens annually and there's biological reasons why they grow them. Sometimes it's, it's a, like a, a defense thing. It's a, it's a, it's a tool for fighting. It's a, it's a visual thing. There's a, there's this idea of the guy that drives the biggest truck, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the idea with these guys. So these, there, there's this intimidation factor, there's function to all of it. But when, when the animal, when these, when these things fall off, they lay in the woods and they're very, they're very rich in minerals. So they're very natural. Like um, a lot of listeners will probably understand um, that over, I want to say the last 15 years, um, there's been a real demand for antlers as chews, like for dogs, for canine, for, mm. for treats, treats and chews. Like they're very long lasting. They're durable. They're rich in mineral. Um, they're high in calcium. So they're, they're actually pretty healthy. Um, alternative to some of the stuff that's out there um, when it comes to like an actual chew for dogs. But so that's a market. That was a market that came, became, there's been a market for antlers forever. Um, a, the majority of the antlers in North America for many, many years were actually shipped overseas. They went to the Asia, to Asia and they were, they're used for different things over there, medicinal stuff. They're, they're sliced thin and put in tea. They're ground down and used the powder. There's all sorts of stuff people are using this stuff for. And then there's also the, you know, the, the decor world where people are, are using antlers to build chandeliers and they're using them to make sconces on their light sconces, different, different things that people do with them. For me as a whitetail guy, I'm just really into, I've evolved as a hunter where I like, and not just me, like, I'm one of many who take hunting to a, de to a level or degree of it's, it used to be for me, it would just be something where my family would get together. We'd go out in the woods and we'd fill our freezer with venison, which is equally important. It's maybe more mm -hmm. important to me now than it, than it ever has been. But there was a phase that I went through as a hunter where I was pretty big on the idea of antlers. You know, the, I wanted to shoot a big deer. And mm -hmm. so all of that stuff comes down to age class. It comes down to genetics. It comes down to um, health, overall health of the deer. All that stuff impacts the antler growth. And so, as a hunter, we've got we've we've gotten in in different people have different approaches on it. But there's management programs that people kind of establish and try to follow and. And some of that has to do with simply letting the deer become a certain age. You can't, you know, a, a prime animal is going to grow its largest antlers at a certain, in a certain age class. And for whitetails in here in the Midwest, I'd say it's probably around five, maybe five or six. And there's a delicate balance there. Like it's hard to get a deer to live that long around here because there's a lot of hunting pressure. And so, and not everybody feels the same way about antlers. Like some guys don't care if they're big antlers, it, you know, a legal buck's a legal buck to them, which is totally fine. But there was a time in my life where I, that really bothered me. And I really wanted to have everybody do the same thing I did. Well, that's a life lesson I've learned. But the idea of this antlers, when they fall every year, well, hell, you can go find them. 
like they're in the woods. And so now they're eaten by rodents quickly. Um, they get, you know, they get different places. I, I, up in Northern Wisconsin, there's a lot of porcupines and a porcupine is notorious to be able to just kind of chew through an antler really quickly. So you find them chewed and you, you, you know, there's, there's an art to shed hunting. Um, shed hunting itself, when I first started getting into shed hunting, I, I remember there was a, there was a time where I really had to explain that I wasn't looking for a little building that you keep your lawnmower in. Like everybody, when I said <laughs> shed hunting, they go, oh, it's back behind the barn. Yep. No, 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 not that kind of shed. I'm talking shed antlers. Well, they would used to talk to farmers and try to get permission because the, the beauty of shed hunting is, for me, is that I found out very quickly is success is based on, it's just like fishing. Like you, if you fish in the waters that there are no fish, you won't catch any. You have to fish where there are fish to catch fish. We have to find to find antlers. You got to be where the antlers are. And so, the if you look at whitetails, they live in in any animal. They live in certain areas during certain times of the year. So you really need to figure out well where are they at the time of the year that they're shedding because a lot of it is driven by food. So mm. if you've got a if I've got a farmer down the road that left ten acres of standing corn, I'm knocking on his door. And I'm asking, hey, do you mind if I look for antlers in the spring? And a lot of times back in the day when I would ask that, first off, they would, wouldn't understand why I would even want to do that. I mean, it was like, Whoa, <laughs> you want to do what? Nowadays, most of the time it's, ah, sorry, our cousins come and do that. Or, you know, the, my husband uh-huh. does it. Or So it's become quite popular. And and that's great. I, I It's part of our business model. We've tried to grow some of that stuff and grow the interest in it. Um, but at the same time, it's just been an evolution of more and more people do it now. But the idea of it for me is a specific deer that I pick the antlers up. I've got several deer in my living room here that are hanging that I could pull you out a couple of years worth of sheds off of them. And oh, really? that was like, and, and I would credit the idea of me being able to actually kill one of these deer was because I got so into them that I started figuring out their habits because they're, they're habitual, they're, they're creatures of habit. And so I killed a buck that's on the wall behind me here that, and we filmed it. And so we, we were filming for the show called North American Whitetail Television. And it's a, a group that I've worked with for years and they're, they've become really good friends of ours. But, um, so we're documenting this, 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 these hunts with the, for these deer on this farm that we hunt year after year after year. And we killed the deer in a stand that I filmed the deer two years in a row out of within a day, within like 48 hours of the exact same day, it was November 5th. So I filmed them on November 3rd and I filmed them on November 4th, two consecutive years prior under that same tree. And I, okay. and I killed them on the third year. So, but now that's like to a level of like, stu- like I'm studying trail cameras. I'm doing it. So we're, I'm really into the deer. You can tell, right? Sure. But there's guys that are way more into it than I am. But the idea of finding these antlers told me a lot so i understood like there's a lot of people that will look at a picture of a of a deer on camera or a video of a deer on trail camera and go oh it's 150 inches 150 inches is a really big deer and i don't think a lot of people recognize that but when you pick the antler up and you measure it and you realize ooh, it's not nearly as big as i thought it was (laughs) or sometimes it happens where you go oh man it's way bigger than what we thought it was that actually happens sometimes so i get a lot of information i find out where the deer is living at a certain time of the year by finding his antlers. Um, so there's some depth to it from a deer hunter's perspective, but then there's this idea of, let's just throw that all away and say, I'm a big, 
I like my dogs and I like to do stuff in the outdoors. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you are, but where I am, it's cabin fever setting in right now. And like for, I have been cooped up in my house. If I wasn't ice fishing, it, it wasn't a lot to do outside. So this time of year, you know, I can get out with my dogs and kind of enjoy the spring part of it. And to me, it's one of the, it's become one of the best times of the year. I used to not necessarily get that excited about spring, but this gives me something to do. That's really fun. Um, real rewarding, kind of exciting. It's like a big Easter egg hunt for, for grownups kind of, you know? Um, but now the, and people do that without dogs, but then I looked at it and I went, boy, that dog covers a lot more ground than I do. That dog has such, such acute senses, mostly with its nose. But the idea of if I can teach a dog, it's no different than, it's similar to, I would say, hunting birds, let's say, upland birds. If if I just went and walked and hoped to walk up on a bird and scare it up and shoot it, I probably wouldn't do it that often. But there's something right. to me about the idea of my success rate goes up greatly with a dog. I enjoy watching that dog do what it was bred to do and born to do there's just a whole lot more enjoyment of me enjoying that time with them so for me to shed hunt with the dog and figure out a way to do that it really becomes yeah yeah i mean i i can be out it's not uncommon for me to be out just in the summer walking around a pasture doing my work and stumbling on a shed antler i mean that's yeah actually quite common but um you and all of our audience being dog people can see the benefit of, oh, you know, sure. this is one more thing I can use my dogs for in a form of recreation at a time of year when there's not much else going on. Uh, because th- this is the hot time of year, right? Like we're just getting into the shed hunting yeah. season here in the upper Midwest. Yep. Um, yep. So, so you can get out at a fun time of year when there's not much else going on and uh, put your dog to work doing something for you. So right. that leads to the obvious question. I think that you do a lot of retriever training. Is mm-hmm. there a breed? I know this is relatively new, uh, shed hunting with dogs, but is there a breed that is developing into the shed hunting breed or can any breed of dog be put to work doing shed hunting? Yeah, um, there's two answers question is okay is there a breed that's being developed to be that shed dog i think it i think there is and i don't know if it's necessarily um i'll I'll tell you why i think it is so i think it's the i think it's the labrador i think the labrador is kind of looked at as the shed dog but i think it's because it's looked at as the duck dog and it's looked at as the uh, for a lot of people the upland dog i think it's because there's a hell of a lot of them there's so many. I mean, there's just, I mean, it's, it's for, I don't know how many years in a row now it's the number one breed in the AKC. Um, there's, and it's not even close to the second breed. So the, the lab is just a very dominant um, presence here in the mm-hmm. States. And so, so I do think that that is now, do I think it's fair for that to be? Maybe, maybe not. Here's why I like, and so, and I'm guilty of this. I'm on, I'm in the, I'm, I'm driving that bandwagon, not just part <laughs> of it. I, I mean, I, I, I've owned labs for 20, 23 years. Um, I, I, we breed a very limited number of them. Um, they're my, it's my favorite. I, I, here's why though, because there's this thing out there and, and some of your listeners might even be involved with this but not so much I, I won't say it's so much in the, the the herding type stuff but like speaking of like 
the categories, you know, the there's the retrievers, there's the herding dogs, there's the protection dogs, there's these categories that we've created for, for dogs. And we, I feel like we don't necessarily do a really good job of, we, we do a good job of generalizing it, but I don't know that we, I think we sell some short and we probably exclude some unfair, unfairly, but mm -hmm. there's this group called the versatile dogs. And, you know, a lot of them are based on, uh, of German descent. Um, you got the GSPs, you got the Drottars, you got the uh, the Vizelas, you got the you got these dogs that are considered to be versatile, which I think by definition they're looking at it as pointing and retrieving. So they're mm -hmm. they're instinctive pointers um, in in the situations where that would be called for, but they're also very nat very natural retrievers. I look at it as, and then you got the retrievers who are you know more known as the flushing dogs. I look at the word versatility, and I, I write for Gundog. I write for Gundog Magazine, so I'm I'm really lucky to be a part of their that group, and um, pretty honored to be able to contribute to contribute to it. And so I write these articles. Well, it forces me. I like it because it forces me to research stuff. And mm -hmm. there have been multiple times where I've written and and had to like look up definitions because the definition of versatility, when you look at what versatility means is it can, it's adaptable, can do a lot of different things. I would argue that the Labrador Retriever is not the most versatile dog I've ever worked with because they are, and, and now you look at, go to the schools and watch the dogs that are sniffing for drugs and bombs. Go to the airport and look at the stuff that's sniffing your luggage. Go to the NFL game on Sunday and check the parking lots. You're going to see a lot of Labrador Retrievers. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's because those guys are duck hunters, <laughs> the, the handlers. <laughs> it's it's because the dog is so easily trained. They're they're extremely intelligent. So this is where I think I can maybe start touching closer to some of your listeners because when you start talking about intelligence, the breeds that you guys are working with on the farms are some of the smartest there are. Their willingness now they're they're built a little bit differently. I think that some of the independent stuff is different. Like a Labrador retriever for me is a very, um, we're, we're connected pretty closely. We're, we're right. physic physically and not so physically, just kind of like our, our connection as far as trust and development. We work as a team on, on just about everything I do. And there is a level of independence that's needed at times with some dogs too. So, I mean, protect, herd, what did, how did you just, Bird protection? Is that what you? Uh, livestock guardian dogs. So these are the big dogs that just live with goats and sheep and yeah. protect them from predators. Yep. Pretty independent, right? Like you're, mm -hmm. that dog is not necessarily working with with the handler, right? On a on a on a constant basis. It's it's establish or develop the the what the expectations are or the behavior, and it's really putting that. It's really independently. The dog is working on that relatively independently so that to me is a little bit different um but this idea of intelligence this idea of like i i see a lot of things um another way i see connection is the idea of inherent traits like i i look at genetics i i'm i'm real nerdy about genetics like i, I really am fascinated by it i'm really i can't get enough information about it i can't talk to enough i got a guy here um a, a friends of mine that are local and they're they're dairy they're dairy guys they're big dairy farmers okay um they also do beef cattle and so they've got feedlots in different states and so i've 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 reached out to them and because i i talk to them about 
things like line breeding because they're using different breeds for cattle. Now I'm asking them about cattle stuff and mm -hmm. I don't know oh, an Angus from a, I don't even know another breed. Whatever <laughs> another breed of cow is. Uh, and I'll sound like a real moron here, but uh, a Holstein, right? Holstein milk is a milk sure. cow, I think. Yep. So I wouldn't know the difference. I couldn't necessarily with confidence tell you the difference, but the conversation that I have with their guys that are very into the idea of, well, we're breeding this line of cattle to this line of cattle, and it's making a little bit longer that carries its weight a little bit differently and carries uh, some characteristics that are that are inherent. They're, they're genetic. And so it's fascinating to me because I can see a lot of crossover as far as the, the, the methods and the reasoning and the philosophy behind it when it comes to breeding some dogs. And so I, I think it's when you start looking at what we breed them for, it's really interesting to see how dialed in we can get them. And mm -hmm. so when you start talking about a shed dog, you're, again, I'm so roundabout with answering questions, but you had said, is there a better breed or a better? Yeah, I think there's a more popular one, but I don't know that it's because it's the best. I think it's, they're real good at it because they're so versatile and they're so trainable. They're so smart and they've got such yeah. great noses. So those are traits that make them good at this. So I look at it and go, give me any dog with those similar traits. And it's more about how we shape them, mm -hmm. for especially early on, how we shape them to understand what it is we're asking them to do. And I feel like that's what dog training is in a lot of situations is we're molding things that have been bred into dogs for purpose to fit our specific needs. Yep. That, that's a great point. So let's talk a little bit more about those traits. Let's just go ahead and list some out. So if folks are at home or driving along listening to this today and they're thinking, I wonder which of my current farm dogs that are either sure. herding dogs or they're just maybe they're pest control dogs or maybe they're just good old fashioned farm dogs. They don't really serve sure. a purpose, but they're thinking through their minds, which of these dogs would lend themselves most to, to shed hunting? Um, let's just kind of package up a bundle of traits that we'd like to see. So we'd like intelligence and trainability, right? I mean, I, regardless yep. of what yep. you're doing with a working dog, that's, you want that. You want For sure. some, you want the right amount of independence, but also a dog that wants to work with a handler. So those livestock guardian dogs probably are not, they're too independent and you know, commands aren't really their thing. They, sure. they, they yeah, do they more march a, to their own beat, man. Right. They do right. more a lifestyle than a task. Right. Sure. Um, we're going to want a dog that can move well, right. Because we do want to cover some ground looking for antlers. Um, and we're going to want a dog with a good nose. So talk to me about those last two, like what kind of range do you want a dog to be working at when searching for antlers and how important is the nose to you? Sure. So we'll touch on the nose first. And is, this is in no, this is in no necessary order of priority, but I, I will talk nose first and I call it game finding. Like I don't even call it nose. I, I call it game finding ability. And okay. I think that is something that is something that is a skill that's built into dogs and it's and it's it's not necessarily it can't be trained it's mm. inherent but we can bring it out because i have i've i've seen it before i've seen dogs that are not challenged with their noses for any purpose and it's almost like 
you would say they don't have a good nose, but it's a litter mate to a dog that is one of the best game finders I've seen. So I know it's not that it doesn't have it, it's that it doesn't know what to do with it. And so it's a lot, it's a lot like, so we bring, I want to bring that kind of stuff out with the young dogs. I'm a big fan of simplicity when it comes to training. So when you look in my training bag right now, there's going to be very few tools in it, but the thing that will be in every training bag I have is a tennis ball. So hmm. I, a tennis ball is, you have to be a little bit careful with tennis balls because they are a tool that are so spun up and so worked up that you lose the focus and control. So you got to you be smart about it. But I love tennis balls because of the way they're made, the way they're built. They're fuzzy. So I can put, I can actually put scent on a tennis ball that's desirable. So I can make a tennis ball smell like an antler. We, we, have a, we, have, we use an antler scent when I use it for my training dummies and when we use it for real antlers, because that in training, we're, we're setting them up. I think it's important to set them up for success. So when it comes to the nose work, a lot of times, especially early on, I'm going to enhance that scent. I'm going to make it so that they can't lose. They can't, they can't fail. And so mm. what it does is it allows them to easy, easily understand what the end result is. What's, what's this game about? And so I'll take that scent. It's a liquid scent that we make. And I, I make it, I make it myself and we make it in pretty small batches and we bottle it and, and offer it with like a kit, like a system, but we also sell it all by itself. But, and I use it on a tennis ball because that tennis ball is nice and fuzzy. So mm -hmm. it absorbs it. It's almost sponge-like. And then what I can do is take a tennis ball and a lot of people know are familiar with those things. They're like, I think it's called the chuck it. It's a, mm -hmm. It's a tool that can really get some distance on a tennis ball. Well, I can take a scented up tennis ball and I can skip it along the ground. And I just laid a beautiful little scent trail. And as that tennis ball bounces and hits stuff and pops around, that creates more challenging tracks for my dogs. So I'm bringing out nose a game. And at the end, when they actually find it, what do they get? get the tennis ball which the tennis ball for a lot of dogs is like the ultimate reward it's a real positive thing i'll also do some games when they're little um i'm not a i'm not a treat trainer so i don't um this is won't this too deep but I, there's lots of different philosophies in training and i'm not a real i'm a I, i'm a believer in the idea of pressure and praise that's how we get dogs to understand